Hello and welcome to the Tasty Brew Music Podcast. I'm Diana Lynn. After a 40-year career in corporate America, I took a huge U-turn and became a volunteer DJ on 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Since 2010, I've been the host, programmer, and engineer of a weekly Americana Roots music show, The Tasty Brew. With this podcast, I'll be sharing conversations with artists and music industry insiders with the goal of entertaining and educating the listening audience, all while giving a voice to the music makers that are underserved or ignored by mainstream media. This episode of the Tasty Brew Music Podcast is a conversation I had with Texas songwriter and author Radney Foster. Initially a songwriter in Nashville, Tennessee, Foster made his recording debut as part of the Foster and Lloyd duo, recording three studio albums and with nine singles on the country charts. Foster began his solo career in 1992, and his album, Del Rio, Texas, 1959, produced four consecutive top 40 hits. Overall, Foster's had 13 songs on the Billboard Hot Country charts, including the top 10 hits Just Call Me Lonesome and Nobody Wins. His songs have been recorded by Gary Allen, Sarah Evans, Keith Urban, Hootie and the Blowfish, Jack Ingram, and many more. He is now producing other artists, writing a screenplay, short stories, and a novel. He's been one of my favorites since I discovered him nearly 20 years ago on a KGSR radio compilation CD. Radney has recently dedicated much time and effort on behalf of Songwriting with Soldiers, a nonprofit transforming veterans' lives by using collaborative songwriting to expand creativity, connections, and strengths. As the mother of a Marine suffering from PTSD, it was an honor and a privilege to learn more about the work being done with veterans like my son. I was in Red River, New Mexico for Larry Joe Taylor's annual Hot Chili Days and Cool Summer Nights Music Festival, featuring Texas singer-songwriters. Radney was the featured performer at the kickoff event on a mountaintop currently serving as Michael Martin Murphy's Bitter Creek Ranch. And through the kindness and tenacity of his manager and wife, Cindy Holzel, we were able to find a precious block of time before Radney had to leave for sound check. Although Radney, via Cindy, had agreed to the sit-down weeks in advance, with no cell service in town, unknown daily schedule until the day of, and limited internet connectivity, it was very challenging to find a suitable venue for our conversation. We settled on the second floor lobby of the rustic Red River Lodge, next to the Motherlode Saloon. Windows wide open to the street in the middle of the day, during an ongoing rain shower. We had some interruptions and background noise to contend with, but we just kept going. This is the reality of podcasting guerrilla warfare style. Our voices came through just fine. Enjoy my conversation with Del Rio's own Radney Foster. Are you in Kansas City? I'm in Kansas City. And so you're here just for Larry Joe Taylor? I'm here just for you. <laughs> oh, wow. Goodness gracious. Um, I usually go to Americana Fest, but I'm not going to go this year. I have oh, to wow, yeah. You know, decide. Kind of just make there. a decision one way yeah, or the other. make yeah. a decision one way or the other. And my boyfriend, Danny's been to this event for years. This is a great event. And he loves it. Yeah. And so he owns some property in Taos, and he hadn't seen it for a while. Mm-hmm. And he wants to build on it someday. So we thought, Well, it's a pretty lovely venue. As, as <laughs> I said, go. let's go yeah. out to Taos, you know, for a couple of days early before this thing starts. And I'll contact uh, Radney's people mm-hmm. and see if maybe we can have a little sit down Perfectly okay. So I hope that it's, it's not too loud. Up you here. know, it's okay. Um, 
I've interviewed people in the green room at Knuckleheads when the trains are going by. Okay, so like there you go. If something gets, I was telling Cindy, if something gets really obnoxious, we can just stop talking and just let it go until it stops. Sure. My editor will take all that stuff out of it. Okay, great. So, um, I first became acquainted with your music when you were on the KGSR compilation CD. Almost, oh, yeah. Almost 20 years ago. Yeah. I didn't know about Foster and Lloyd. I'm, oh, wow. I'm late to that party. Okay. I was into blues and rock then. Right. And didn't come into Americana music until about 1994. Okay. Something like that. So, uh, Drunk on Love, I think, was on yeah, one of those Yeah, it was on one of their... Yeah, you know, basically what they do is they do a compilation of the things that everybody plays uh, live in the studio. In the studio and uh, It's a fundraiser, right? Yeah, it's a fundraiser every year, and they have a limited number that they do, and, and uh, which was always fun. And, and uh, I was always on Jody Denberg's show yeah. who was just a great guy and uh well the imagery that was in that song i mean some of the uh, lyrics about the beer, laying on a bed of beer cans or something like built that. a like, pyramid of beer cans on a bar laid out like an egyptian or yeah something. Laid out okay like an i gotta egyptian. listen to this song because i've never heard lyrics like that oh thanks very very and much and i've actually played that song many many times on my radio show over the years because i just oh, really, thanks. really like thanks it. very very much i appreciate that um and i think one of the things that i'd like to talk to uh, you about today is how to navigate this business right now especially well, as what i consider a legacy type artist that has gone up and down the mountain a couple of times already sure. and so how do you s stay relevant what's the plan? i think the one of the ways you stay relevant is you keep challenging yourself that's not that has nothing to do with the industry and everything to do with you it's one of the reasons i wrote a book uh which i was, brought and would like for you yeah, to sign it's something. called for you to see the stars it's a um it is 10 uh, a compilation of 10 pieces of short fiction uh, that goes along with my latest album, which is, you know, 10 songs and 10 short stories to go with. A short story for each song, if you will. But I think part of it also is, you know, I went and did some acting at, uh, I was in a musical in, uh, at a Tony Award winning theater in Atlanta that was written by... Had you ever done that before? Uh, I had uh, just as an amateur, never yeah. as a professional. Um, but the... The thing about it is, is all of those are challenging me outside of my normal box, which is you sit down with a guitar, you write a song, you go play it for people. But I think that makes you better at that songwriting aspect, which is what's driven the train for the last 35 well, years. Well, to be able to have another skill set or a tool in your tool belt right. to rely on when you got ill some time sure. ago and... and was not able to perform or Correct. to sing or whatever. So I what used going, that. What was going? I had a. I had oh, a, I was terrified. I had a stroke in 2012. Wow. And, and the type of stroke I had, most people don't survive from it. But mm. it, it makes you think. You, you reevaluate a lot of it, things. It resets a lot of meters for you. Yeah. You know, and for me, uh, you know, I had a couple of different uh, health issue bouts. But uh, one of which was I got laryngitis for six weeks straight and then had to have uh, six weeks worth of vocal therapy before I could go back out and start working again. So we couldn't book for three months. But that didn't mean at the end of three months we could just go out and say, oh, yeah, we'll be out there next week. You book three months out so they have time to promote it. So that meant six months of my life without really doing shows in order to feed my family. And so... That was both a financial 
crisis and an existential crisis for me in my head. And it wasn't like I went and, and said, oh, they didn't say, oh, if you'll just do this for three months, you'll be fine. There were no guarantees about There were no anything. guarantees about anything. So basically what they said was each week I would go back to Vanderbilt's voice center and they'd say, you still can't talk. So you get three weeks in and you're going, what if this thing never comes back? The, the royalty issues on songwriting are gone. Yeah, I, uh, that's become a that's really become an, a, a huge problem within the music business. There's a new Music Modernization Act that's supposedly supposedly uh, going to cure some of that. Some of it, soften it a little. Soften bit. it some, but but the the you know the mailbox money that used to come to songwriters, you know, a great example is that you know back in the Foster and Lloyd days or in the early parts of my career. I would make an album and I had written the songs off of that album and I would go tour for a year behind that record and then I would not tour for six months. I would stay rest. home and rest recharge. and write songs, recharge your batteries and go into the studio and create new things because royalties paid the bills during that six months. And so now there's no royalties to pay those bills. So and and because I'm not the only one, everybody's out there. Why is your favorite 70s rock band out there playing again after you know, 40 years? years? Yeah. Because the royalties are gone. The royalties don't exist anymore. Well, so they have to to make a living. I think that's and so that makes like every me. single venue a, a much more difficult play. It drives the numbers you make at the venue down. So, I mean, it, it's a, it is a... I know that's kind of technical and, and, and that side of thing. But I really do think that the answer to it is to be creative about the way in which you present your art. Maybe it's just going full circle again as to how troubadours and singers... In the 1920s and 30s, nobody made any more There were no money. royalties. There, there were no, no record companies. There were no licensing deals or whatever. No. The way you made a living was to get out on the road and go from town to town or find a patron that would support you. Support you or, or find a place where everybody would come see you on, on every Saturday night. Well, I, I don't think there's any support for experiencing it live. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a big proponent of that and have really come to love house concerts and listening rooms and open mics and the coffee shops because it's just a wonderful experience to be able to watch an artist try something out, you know, that's sure. new or um, just make that connection. We were in the Adobe bar last night in the Taos and, okay. and there was a, a, a duo playing and it was a great crowd for a Tuesday night and that you could tell that they were feeding off the energy or whatever. Sure. And they remarked, you know, that we've played here when there's two people here and they're talking to each other and not paying, Any might as well be the Muzak. So right. thank you, thank you for being here, for being engaged and listening. It really, really makes all the difference in the world. And there maybe were 30 of us there, but we were all engaged and we were all listening. That's how you build, that's how you build a career. And he said, I would rather play to 30 to 50 people that I knew were listening and engaged than to a thousand people that don't care. That are True that. They're for the beer or whatever. Right. True that. Um, well, uh, one of the things I also wanted to a ask you or talk about today was I was watching um, uh, a video of you at Eddie's Attic. Uh huh. Where you were telling this great story about Guy Clark and Towns. Van Zandt. Zandt, yes. And so, in preparation for this conversation, I've really been agonizing. I'm like, what are you, you only got 20 or 30 minutes. What are you going to talk about? 
and you said something in the course of that storytelling mm -hmm. that kind of put me at ease and thought it's going to be okay. You said you had the opportunity once Towns got there that afternoon to just ask Key and Guy a bunch of questions. Sure. So what questions were you asking Guy and Towns fans at that afternoon? You know, just uh, things about uh, songs that they'd written or or uh, you know, there were stories that we had heard. So getting you know that uh, sort of notorious about about both of them and uh, what vintage so, what year is this this was in 1987 so they were both living in Nashville at the time um, Towns was in one of his more sober faces but it was great because we got the chance to ask you know how they got to LA how they got back you know why who came back from LA first and it was Guy you know, and then how did um, it went back to Austin? Um, asking about um, a movie that we knew had been filmed but had never been released, which then later was, was Heartworn Highway. Yeah, Heartworn Highway. Yeah, and so wow. we got to ask them about that, and then just talk about music and things that they loved and and art and um, you know, um, I, they would start down one kind of road. You know, and I remember Towns talking about, you know, going to the Van Gogh Museum and like in Amsterdam. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. These guys were <laughs> much more sophisticated than people oh. realized. Uh, they they were, you know, poets and, and sought out making art. I mean, they knew that, you know, the thing I learned that day more than anything else was that. In sitting down to write a song with someone or by yourself, that your pursuit that day was to go create a piece of art. If it happened to be a commercial piece of art that made you some money or helped you draw a crowd, that was um, just a bonus. I icing on the cake. Correct. But okay. and that, that's but that that's what real careers as real artists were built from. That's why I love the fact that folks like you and Rodney and Emmy Lou are still out there creating and still writing songs and still collaborating with other people. Um, I don't and, want to get bored playing the same songs every night. Well, you know, <laughs> John, well, since we're dropping names, John Prime uh, said something to a young songwriter not too long ago. He said, make sure that these songs that you're writing and you're performing that you're comfortable or that you're going to be comfortable with performing them 50 years from now because you yeah. just might be doing it. Oh, yeah. Which is... It's the truth. He would be able to, you know, speak to that better than anybody. Make sure that you, they don't... Yeah, but his first three songs... You know what his first three songs probably he wrote Probably silly. No. No. Well, first three like songs Sam he wrote Stone were, or, were Sam Stone... Paradise and hello in there. Yeah. I mean, you know, so I mean. And it was uh, probably 27 when he did it. Right. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, the guy was walking around, you know, about to hit home runs, yeah. you know, not knowing he was going to do it. Well, that was such a great piece of advice. Oh, sure. But he was kind of like saying it like he was kidding or half under Well, I mean, I think he, I, I, you Make know, sure I'm sure. Songs are, you're going to be comfortable right. singing these for 50 years from now because you just might. Yeah. You know. And 
And he did write some really great, but great silly songs like Let's Talk Dirty in Hawaiian, mm-hmm. I think is an absolutely hilarious song. It is. Somebody just sang that the other night, too, in an open mic. And I thought most of the people there were young and they had never, never heard, heard it. Never heard it. No idea. And they were they, howling. Oh, yes. And then when they said that was a John Prine's. No, no, the same guy that wrote Sandstone and Hello yeah. in there and some of those other songs. Um, your show tonight is outside. Uh, so, right? so they say, yeah, and it's raining. And but, it's raining. So uh, they do have a, an indoor venue in case. This is not untypical for New Mexico weather. I mean, it, it might it probably quit in about an hour. Yeah. So. But has this been a busy summer for you? It has. Um, although I've been. Tra- it's over already. I mean. Right. Although I've been trying uh, to slow down and have set aside time this fall and this winter to only tour enough to keep the lights on in order to finish my second book. Um, so there is another book. Yes, there is another book in the works. I'm writing a novel. It, it's set in uh, in the late 1930s, early 1940s, right at the beginnings of World War II, or at least America's entrance into it. And, uh, and there'll be a collection of songs to go with it. Was it inspired by or informed by All That I Require? Somewhat by that. Yeah, I mean, I took all those slogans from that time period. I think somewhat I, w- I became fascinated by that. And then I had um, an opportunity to visit uh, Del Rio in West Texas. And there was uh, some things about that that really inspired it again about you know some of the things that were happening in my hometown during the during right during the very beginnings of World War II and then um, I think one of the other was is that the realization as I started to try to flesh that out um, I had several other ideas that I thought well this would make a good story or that would make a good story and I, I kind of was juggling them all around and then I really became fascinated by the fact that most people did not travel more than 50 miles in their lifetime. My grandmother never drove a car and never was more than 90 to 100 miles. May never have left their county, you know, until World War II. And then millions of Americans, millions of American men, and then women who went into the workforce or families that moved dead was, you know, for some reason not eligible for the draft, but his 18-year-old son was, but there was better work in Mobile, Alabama than there was in Oklahoma City because they were building ships in the shipyard Mm -hmm. and you drove your family in a truck from, you know, the hills of Oklahoma to Mobile, Alabama and worked in the shipyards. I mean, that is a massive disruption in, 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 you know, migration of human beings and our country in a span of five years experienced this gigantic migration that it had never seen before really have you always been and how much that that alone changed life for everyone much less that we were battling things like fascism and uh totalitarianism and 
the thought of whether democracy was actually going to work or was worth a damn. And they did it without the ability to have the communications that we have now. Correct. You know, no internet, no really telephone or whatever. They just go by word of mouth from somebody. Sure. Oh, oh, Uncle Elvie went up to Michigan and worked in the uh, the steel mills up there. They might have work up there yep. for you. They might not. Don't know. Pack up the kids and go. Yeah. I mean, I do have, I have examples of that in my own family. Um, I, I bet it was fun to research. It has been, I, and and actually um, go down the rabbit. I thought I would be. Holes. I thought I yeah. I thought I would be um, much further along than I am. All the, I'm about uh, a quarter of the way through um, writing, and but I have spent the last year, you know, in between gigs, sometimes going to places that appear in the novel to actually get the physical lay of the land in my head. Are you thinking screenplay in your head at the same time that you're writing the book? Not yet. No. I, I, they, I view those as two different mindsets. Yeah. I have Cindy and I have written a screenplay based on one of the short stories in the book, and it's been optioned. I was going to ask. It's in which development. One is it? uh, the story Isabel, and so um, hopefully it, it'll end up a film. You still don't know those kinds of things. Um, an option is just just that an option, but uh, but I very much want to I realize very quickly that when you're writing historic fiction you better get the history part right you can make up things for your characters but the things that happen to the actual people you better get it right or there'll be people who'll be all over you like a cheap suit yeah and quickly oh yeah oh they will and let you know immediately tweeted around the world oh yeah you immediately how badly you screwed that up well it keeps you honest oh yeah and and I, and I I actually spoke with another a friend of mine who's an author who writes uh, for the most part, writes historic fiction, and he said they will still find things that you have right, messed right. up. But there's also language things you learn. Um, it's an automobile, not a car. We don't start coming. We don't start talking about cars till the 1950s. It's an automobile. It's an automobile. Yeah, you get into an automobile. Fascinating. But and so you're about. Yeah, that's just one. A third of the way through, halfway. I'm, through? I'm about a quarter of the way through. But I have the, and I have the plot lined out in, in, in my head and actually have some physical outlines, but one of the things that starts to happen with any story that I've written thus far is the characters start to change your plot line and they also tell you your ending. Do you know the ending? I think I know the ending, but you know, I, there's a story in that book that um, I got to what I thought was, you know, still needing to write another 1500 words and uh, a character said a line and I was like she just that's it that's the end of it that's absolutely the ending and now in a novel I would have to then turn and go I'm I'm I'm, I'm 20,000 words short if that's the ending so I got to go back and stretch it fill in more gaps are you doing the novel under with working title uh, so yeah, I, I don't have it, it. It is free and open as far as that's concerned. That's certainly my intention. I don't have a. Um, my book was a one-off book contract mm -hmm, with them, mm -hmm. so I am free. But um, I, I, I thoroughly intend at this point for them to put it out. Um, if the only reason that I would do it any other way is if 
there were the need for someone to to um, you know expand it to a much broader audience. Well, I, I got the album you know. first at the station before mm-hmm. I got the book, and w- w- then when I got the book, it gave, of course, whole new meaning to the songs, and it really is a great experience to read the chapter, then listen to the song. Yeah, read the chapter, it's, listen it's a to fun the song. deal. And uh, the, the this next book won't be as linear, yeah, you know, because it's an entire story arc of a novel. But basically, I'm trying to write music that would have been significant, or or might help the story along or in some ways you know write music that was appropriate for the time period that that you know the couple that falls in love i mean if there is a couple falling in love um might might have danced to and you know right or wrong which everyone now thinks of as a george Strait hit was a hit in the 1930s by bob wilson the texas playboys so you can write what sounds like a hit, a hit country song today well, there with the realization that you know, Jimmy Rogers wrote in, he's in the jailhouse nine in nineteen in the nineteen thirties. We still sing "Ain't Misbehaving." We still sing, you know. There's, oh my goodness! I go to Woody Fest now every year, and you know, "This Land Is Your Land" is the very sure. first song that I learned to sing as a child sure. in chorus in the fourth or fifth grade, in probably nineteen fifty six or nineteen fifty seven. Well, Woody was still alive, you sure. know, at that point, but. That song was already, you know, in part the of the American Songbook. Oh yeah, part of the American Songbook. So the the goal for me is to try to think of writing things that might have, might have um, been in the interest of the people in the novel at the time. Mm-hmm. There is one musician in the, it's actually two musicians in the uh, story. In the story, so uh, that helps as far as songwriting is concerned. I don't. Think I haven't worried too much about it, but the book's coming first. Yeah. You know? I, I, I've already realized that I have to have music that just sounds like it could have been something, you know, written by Duke Ellington, mm-hmm. you know, or, or Billy Strayhorn for Duke Ellington, you know, or, or uh, you know, of the time. Well, may I, may I, suggest, may I make sure. a suggestion? There but is, then certain things need to talk about the, the end of my thing is that certain things need to be germane. It's like, oh, that sounds like it's just a folk song that could have been a, a Woody Guthrie song, but it's really specifically about this one chapter. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a sound archive, the Mar Sound Archive. Oh yeah. At University of Missouri, Kansas City. My friend Chuck Haddix is the executive director. Oh wow, yeah. If you need any help about trying to reference any music, especially it's in, crazy. In they that have everything. Era, yeah. They have everything. Oh yeah, they have everything. He just gave, took took me on a personal tour, and when I get back, we're, and the Country Music down. Foundation has, has been helpful too. Yeah. They have almost everything, Amer- uh, you know, American country music at the time. There's the honky-tonk side of things was absolutely influenced by the swing side of things and, and the blues side of things. Um, and then um, you also have this birth of, you got to remember that in, 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 from 1939 to 1945, you know, A.P. Carter was writing all those amazing things mm-hmm. that we think of as, you know, and so was Roy Acuff, and so was, um, you know, Hank Williams was just starting in his career, even though nobody would heard of him yet. He was not signed to MGM yet, but but he was he was starting to write songs. I'm so lucky when my know. uncle passed away in 2011, I inherited his record collection. Oh, yeah. And he had all of this music from the 30s and the 40s, sure. um, the country music. He loved country sure. music. 
Um, then he got into rock and roll. He was born the same day as Jerry Lee Lewis, and so oh, he wow. had this, you know, affinity for, for Jerry Lee Lewis and, and early rock and roll. Mm-hmm. I've got all of his forty fives from uh, the rock and roll era as well. But well, I love all the double thumb style picking stuff that really was born out of the Mississippi Delta and then also out of Texas, um, um, and really was a black style that was appropriated by white musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, and in addition, you know, that's how I wrote. All that I require is absolutely, you know, you know, double thumb style banjo rolls, played on an acoustic guitar, you know. So that's so that music is really coming into its own in the nineteen late nineteen thirties and early nineteen forties. Well, we just have to make people think that it's the new. Then it's this the newest thing. <laughs> the yeah, sky's the limit. Yeah, Randy Foster. I, I don't disagree. When Grandpa sold the house because the business failed He said rock bottom is just solid ground, start again And when life ain't nothing like a fairy tale We just gotta work and hope and pray and say amen It's gotta get dark enough to see the stars shine like diamonds. I think you you're a lucky, lucky guy. I don't I don't I don't disagree with the you. <laughs> the skill sets that you have and the word I call it wordsmithing or song crafting or, or whatever. That's what gets my attention uh, with your music. There's a song that you wrote about half of my mis- Half my mistakes. Half my mistakes. I yeah. so relate to that song. Most people but, do. <laughs> but, but there's so you have to have a certain amount of mileage. That's it. I always tell can... people. You see, you have that, that. Although I did have a like a 22 year old come up to me and and tell me that that was her favorite song. And I was like, you're not old enough for that to be your favorite song. For you to know that, well, I had a 12-year-old come up to me um, at a remote and say, could you please uh, play Hayes Carl's Bad Liver and a Broken Heart? It's my favorite song. And I said, (laughs) you're not enough to understand what that means. I want to talk to your mother. Yeah, your mama here. That cannot be your your favorite. Um, Well, I have enjoyed reading books by Rodney uh, Crowell and Rod Picot and John Oates' books and, and now your book. I'm John, uh, as a matter of fact, Rod Picot's book has just been re-released with two new short stories in it by Working Title Farm. I'm going to have to get that. I've got the first one. And it was re-edited, completely re-edited. I think that it, it seems like it should be a natural progression to be able to do that, especially if you have a certain... Rod's a great writer. He is a great writer. I've gotten writer. to know him a lot because of Working Title Farm. The imagery that... Mm-hmm. And the tune of my the, my 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 favorite um, my favorite short stories in the book are the two new ones. And, he's uh, always creating. Yeah, he's a really really creative guy. I, I have a, I don't know whether you know this name. Chad Elliott is a songwriter out of Iowa. I do know Chad. Yeah, and he's an amazing um, fr- friend and, and artist, and got his degree in sculpture. Right. Sculpture. He, yeah, and he he does he makes physical art and writes children's books and does all kinds of stuff. He sometimes does three gigs a day. Oh, I know. Start it's... off in a children's school, then the old folks home, and then the bar at night. Yeah. I know. Um, but 
what a gift to be able to create all the time and have those options, especially sure. like you. He's got four children that he's and oh, a yeah. wife that he's oh, yeah. trying to support and doing it well. But man, he's you guys work so hard. I think most people do not understand how much time goes into preparing for a show. Oh yeah. Let alone a tour or a oh, book gosh, yeah. or whatever. I have musicians stay with me at my home a lot and as soon as they wake up they're online and they're checking emails and they're most of doing their own social media and everything it is a 24 7 oh yeah it's a it it is a you know the the but you talked about unplugging i mean you know one of the things i've discovered is that you have to have living time in order to be able to write well, if you don't take it, the your writing will, will suffer. Well, and the universe will smack you down with an illness or, or you're some right. other life-changing event oh, that yeah. will make you go, oh, wait a minute. You thought you had a plan? Let me, yeah, let, let, me, let, let me, me help you with that. Let me help you with that. Um, collaborations. Um, you've been on some great tribute records you know, to Guy and some others. Uh, I was thinking today now, if they were doing a Radney Foster tribute album, who would you like to be on it? I, I can't even answer that question. <laughs> that, that that that's 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 beyond my pay grade. So. Oh, I I think I'm going to put together a playlist of people that I would like I, to see. I mean, I, I if someone did that, that you know, I'd be flattered and honored. But I don't I don't think about the world that way that much. I I'm I very rarely am thinking about what the hell I did in the past, other than when I get up and sing it. On a, you know, the time when I think about my past is when I'm making a set list. You know, what am I going to do tonight? Because then you I, do use a set list. Sure, absolutely, yeah. And because I, 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 I literally have written so many songs, I, I do forget the words to do. Well, I, and and so I have to like, you know, if if I had to if I had to do "Drunk on Love" tonight in the set, I haven't sung that song live in about three and a half years. So I'd have to go woodshed it in that or have your room, iPad out and, and I'd still have to go woodshed it. I don't. I don't want to read it off of something to play it for people. I want to. I want to perform it, and I think that's the part of the actor in me is that says no. It's a, it's a show. It's a show. You mm-hmm. got to give them a show. You got to put every. You need to make them believe the absolute devastation of realization that you have completely screwed up a relationship when you sing when I sing easier said than done they need to they need to go oh my god i think he's going to fall apart right here in front of us they need to feel every bit of that and so if i don't if i'm not paying attention if i'm just reading the lyrics mm-hmm. they can tell yeah well when we were in Americana Fest right after you'd written All That I Require mm-hmm. or when you had aggravated the words mm-hmm. to All That I Require you were on a songwriting panel I think and you had to have the words yeah because it was, it was, it was brand like new brand brand yeah, new yeah it was about, it was about was, two weeks old I was yeah. lucky enough to be sitting in the first row and saw that you had your cheat sheet and I could tell he's really uncomfortable about having to use this yeah. he's not liking that he's that no. he's having to do this but it was such a powerful song I mean I don't think I took a breath oh thank you the whole time and um, I've, I've, I'm 
I'm sorry to see that it is becoming more and more poignant as as time passes. Oh, uh, yeah. I um, my son did two tours in Afghanistan, and he, tell him thank you. I will. I will. He um, has PTSD. Mm. Terrible. He's getting better. Um, that's why I'm so thankful and grateful to Song writing for soldiers with soldiers. With soldiers. Um, and by the way, we just filmed a um, special for PBS, and it's going to air on October 25th oh, good. for uh, public television. I mean, my son's not a musician, and he's totally tone deaf, but. I that doesn't matter. But songwriting I with soldiers is not about ninety percent of the guys who go to songwriting with soldiers retreats are not musicians, and that's not the point. The point is using songwriting as a point of catharsis for telling your story. And so, if if if, if you'd like information on how he could potentially sign up to go to a retreat, I'm more than happy to pass that I, along. I, I appreciate that. I think that. He probably is a lot more open to it now than he was the first we two find years. That we, after we find that very often. We could not communicate. Mm -hmm. He could not talk about it. He was drinking yeah. really heavily, and he was mad, and he can't, he still can't sleep very well. Mm -hmm. He's been back, you know, six years, eight years, or whatever. But mm -hmm. um, it's wonderful work that you do. It, it becomes. I tell. I, I'll. I'll relate this. It's probably good for their podcast, right, but right. also it might be relatable to him. You know, writing a song is the ability to just tell your story and then all of a sudden for it to get codified into something that you could share with your friends without having to be verbal. Mm -hmm. I always tell I ask every single soldier I've ever written with and 90% of them know, you know, if they were on a battlefield, how much did you pack away? They know to the pound, to mm -hmm. the half a pound. Mm -hmm. And they were always usually carrying more than they were supposed to. And so I always ask them, what was the best feeling when you got back to either base or to your hooch, you know, whether you're in a four position or not, sit out taking the damn pack off. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, well, this song is like your pack. Yeah, that's a good So analogy. go play it for your drinking buddies, play it for your family, play it for your um, uh, loved ones, for your pastor, for your AA sponsor, for whoever it is that you have to play it for. Go ride around in your truck and play it 437 times on an afternoon so that you can get through whatever it is you got to get through. But then when you're done, take the pack off and set it aside. But when people ask, you know, one of the, one of the songs I wrote with some guys was um, in both Spanish and English was called No Me Preguntes, which means don't ask me any questions. And because they said, you know, I just said, what bugs you? Because I was sitting with these uh, group of guys who were all Hispanicos. And, and one guy goes, when they ask you really stupid questions when you come home, did you kill anybody? And they, uh, they go, you don't want to know. You really do not want to know what I lived through. And, and, and you can't help. Sure. You don't, and you can't yeah. handle that. Yeah. And so... We wrote this song in both Spanish and English for those guys. And I said, okay, so when somebody asks you, you know, a dumb question, you can say, hey, you know what? I got an answer for you. Here it is. It's on my phone. Listen to it. That's what, what it was all about. 
you know. They and do get asked that that question. They that very have, absolutely, they get asked that because that my question. son was a marine in the infantry. Absolutely, the radio guy. Absolutely, and I know he saw horrible things because sure. I overhear him talking to other vets. marines and other vets right. about it. But he does not want to be talking to his mother about no, it. No, of course not. I don't really want to ask him. That's right, and 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 it means uh, you know. In any case, it's the it's the proudest work I get to do as a way of giving back. It's the most visceral and personal work. And there's a lot of ways in which I give back. I'm involved in a lot of charity projects. I'm involved with a um, project called the called the Foster Project for uh, um, Kyle Hutton, a Texas singer songwriter. Myself did an EP. He was adopted out of the um, uh, public. Uh, you know, the foster care system. Foster care system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah um, as a as an infant. Um, I have a brother and a sister who are both adopted. Um, so we, um, we've done a, a series of concerts um, that brings awareness to uh, both um, foster care and then all the things that are needed to go along with that in communities and then also adoption um, and some of the services that are available to people that might be interested in adopting uh, children into a forever home. And it's, it's some of the coolest work I get it to do. But, but that's a concert. That's not sitting down across from, you know, an EOD officer who lost count of how many bombs he walked towards because there's an IED stopping a convoy in the road. You know, that's a whole different kettle of fish. We've been insulted, boys. And we must not hesitate They're different and they're dangerous Deserving of our hate So follow me and I'll whip all your fears into a fire I've got all the answers I'm the whore that you desire Those neighbors who talk funny Well, I'll make them move away and the ones who disagree will put them in their place Those malcontents, muckrakers, protesters in the street Won't make you feel uncomfortable, I'll lay them at your feet I'll make us strong again, you'll sleep safely in your bed I'll rain down hell upon those dirty mongrels' heads And your pantries will be full and your faith will be inspired And the blood of all your children is all that I require your anger and I'll massage your pride you feel so good at first when I take it for a ride but I told you who I am and when it's too late to resist remember you're the one who chose this scorpion to kill I'll make her strong again and you'll sleep safely in your bed I'll rain down hell upon those dirty mongrels' heads Your pantries will be full and your faith will be inspired 
blood of all your children is all that I require. Instead of learning from history. 